This is episode number 277. How do you transition beyond your circumstances? With Scott Mason and Steve Gamlin. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements, first one being in regard to our work and our mission. And that is if our work has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our weekly series called Survive to Thrive, Live the Story You Create. What this is, is a series of conversations that take place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, hosted primarily through LinkedIn and Facebook Live, where we discuss the connection between one's personal narrative and the topic of grief, resilience, gratitude, and many other topics. If this is of interest to you, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today or joining us through LinkedIn or Facebook on any given Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, where you'll be able to share your own insights and your own perspectives as it relates to each and every single conversation. Now, let's get back to the show. Mr. Gamlin and Mr. Mason. <laughs> it's been, you know, it's been quite the journey to be connected to the two of you. I think it's been well over a year. I'm trying to think, Steve, you and I, we might have known each other for two years, three years. Getting close oh. to three years since our first contact. I look back through the the LinkedIn messaging. I said, oh my gosh, Oleg and I have been crossing paths and interacting, have been on each other's shows several times each. Mm-hmm. It's getting close to three years. Wow. I didn't even know that. Time flies by. And, and the other thing that I find fascinating about the two of us, as well as some of the people that are tuning in from the comments is even though I've never met you in person, I feel like I partially have. Mm. And I don't know if it's just due to the connection and due to just shared life experiences that we've had, but it's been fascinating to observe that. And I'm uh, just before we get into the episode, I'm, I just want to express my gratitude to the two of you, as well as everyone else that chooses to support and show up regardless of what the circumstances might be. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. And I, you know, I think to speak to already feeling like we know each other, we just show up authentically wherever we are. Mm-hmm. And, and when you do that consistently enough, people get the feel and say, okay, I, I like this person's energy. And when you do meet them in person and you realize it's exactly the same, that that's when you know you're doing it right. Yeah. Now I go ahead, Scott. Yeah, no, I've got to say that. I mean, look, when I show up in person, I, it, it turns out I've actually got blonde hair and I speak in a whispery little voice and, and I, I love to sit around. I, I trash people left and right and, and try and focus on the negative in the world. And I'm finding that people don't seem to like me as much. Well, 
I'm no. thrilled for our in-person connection. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> Melody and Jessica, I just wanted to say hi, by the way. Love you both. No, I this I'm I'm glad we're able to connect and I'm glad we're able to have this conversation and and I, I figured that the best way that maybe we can even kick off this topic at hand, and that is how do you transition beyond your circumstances, is I wanted to kind of give the stage to either of you, and that is when you think about your own challenges, when you think about your own obstacles in life, what have you learned about the process that you take yourself through? Do you learn from the circumstances? Do you get sucked into them? Do you lean back on certain mentors? How do you personally transition beyond whatever the hardship you might be facing at the current moment? And we're both waiting to see who you call on first. (laughs) (laughs) I know Steve is going to have an answer to this one. So Steve, I'm going to turn the floor over to you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I think the number one thing in, and it's very tough to do when you feel as though you're getting bashed around by life or by your circumstances is to understand where you are right now and be able to take a very objective look at it, not just as a victim of, Oh, here's what's going wrong. What else could go wrong? But just pull yourself off to the side of whatever road you're on and really take a good look at what's happening, what it really means to you, how you really feel about it. Because sometimes when we feel like we're that snowball rolling downhill, catching steam, and we can't stop it, we feel like we have no control over our lives, which is actually not true. We have the opportunity to pull over, to just stop and just observe, even for 15 minutes, put pen to paper and really take a solid look at where we are. And then if you're able to do that and you're able to stop and just get away from the noise for a little bit, you can start to think of, okay, what would I rather it looked like, felt like, sounded like, what, how would I like to feel? In the midst of all this, where can I find the hope in this? And if I find the hope in this, who's going to be on that path to help me get there? And I love that you mentioned, you know, mentors you might have to reach out to or coaches. I have coaches. I pay coaches. I have mentors. And anytime I've been in a difficult challenge in the midst of my life, which they still happen on an annual basis to all of us, we get a lot easier at slamming on the brakes saying, okay, hold on. This is what's going on right now. Here's who I am in the midst of all this. Okay, where do I want to be? Do I want to be here? No, I want to be beyond these circumstances. How can I get beyond them? What does that look like? I do a lot of work of visualization. Of course, I'm the vision board guy. So I ask people, what would you like your life to look like? What would you like to be surrounded by? by? Who would you like to be surrounded by? What would you like to experience that is better than where you are right now? Because life is a series of trenches and ditches. And one of my coaches, my mentor, Chris Whitehead, just wrote a book uh, called Becoming Iconic. And one of the things he talks about, he always says, see you in the trenches. Because the trenches are where the work gets done to advance in life. The ditches are where we get stuck. And when we're in those ditches, sometimes it's hard to see outside of them. So we have to, in our mind, understand where we are, look at the walls around us, figure out how we're going to climb out and who we want to become on the other side of that. So we can jump into a trench and do some work but we got to get out of that ditch first. What helped you realize this process or what helped you understand that this is a process that may work for you in your life? Part of my life that I refer to as my mid thirties to mid forties is where I blew it all up and just threw myself into a ditch uh, all at once. I blew up my career. My first marriage ended. My financial stability was absolutely gone. I was near bankrupt. And I just found myself stuck. And I kept wallowing in that for not a long time, but just long enough to know 
I was not going to be happy. And I had actually contributed to the circumstances of my life at that point with some decisions I'd made. Not very well thought out decisions. Now, some people land there and stay there the rest of their lives. I did not want to do that. I'd been on a personal development journey at that point for 15, 18 years. And said, so, look, I had all these great dreams. I had all this great motivation. I had all these things going on. I blew this up in like Wile e. Coyote in the old cartoons wearing the Acme rocket roller skates and just blew up all phases of my life. And I decided, look, I created these circumstances. I'm in this ditch right now. I don't want to be here anymore. Let me dig back to the mentors of my personal development world, the Tony Robbinses, the Jack Canfields, the classics like Earl Nightingale as well. And books like Think and Grow Rich. Let me get back to basics and start taking those baby steps again and then see the best version of myself that I want to create. And then just start all over. I mean, you can always go back and start again, but you have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired of where you're at. And you have to take an honest look at it to know where you really are and how much of control you really do have and then start climbing out. But yeah, there's a, a decade of my life that led to everything I'm doing now. It actually led to me becoming a speaker and an author and the, the mm -hmm. vision board program creator. Cause I went through it. There's, there's a picture out there of me somewhere with, the words on this chalkboard that say this guy lived it and an arrow pointing right at my head. And I just leaned against it. That's, that's what got me here. I just went through it all. And I think that's a, that's a fascinating point about it all is the fact that it, I like how you brought up this concept that challenges are not going to disappear. In fact, what I've started to observe is that, I mean, every single day is going to present its own set of challenges. And, mm -hmm. and for me, it really is as simple as, kind of an outlook or a mindset, which I think is similar to maybe Melody's comment. And that's how do you choose to look at the circumstances? Do you look at them as everything is going wrong? Or do you ask yourself, how can I make things better? Or what's working? Yes, these things may not be working. But at the end of the day, what is working? What is helping you get through this, some of the things? And uh, Jessica also pointed out another one, which is similar to Nike. And that's just do it. I, I couldn't believe I couldn't I don't think that statement could be more true because it really has been that simple for me. Mm -hmm. If something's not working, just do it. Find a way. Find a way to work through it. And the fascinating part that I'll add on before um I give Scott the ability to share his experience, and that's that it's what I've realized is that when it comes to the challenges, I'm still here. I have found a way to work through them. And that's the most fascinating part is that no matter how difficult that thing seems at the given moment there's still an opportunity to see that next moment beyond that. And I find that to be just, just fascinating how life works in the midst of literally the world crashing, everything going South. And yet when you get it to, when you get to the next day and the circumstances are no longer the same, or maybe the lens, maybe that's the thing that changes your is one's perspective. <laughs> and I, I just observe it. And it's like, wow, literally 24 hours, my world was quote unquote ending. And now I'm like, it's like a rebirth that's happening as, as all this takes place. Mr. Mason, what has, what, what has your experience been like? It's been balancing a bit of a type tightrope in the personal development world, as well as in the world of psychology and of just common sense as well as social engagement as it is usually played out. There is a core identity that each of us has that we can develop 
and hold on to, and in order for us to be viewed as anything approaching sincere, whole people, that identity, that central locus of authenticity needs to be understood and held on to like this mic very tightly, only without turning it off, just like I accidentally did. <laughs> that being said, the tightrope is between that need, that core authentic centrality that is within our heart and represents a core of who we are versus the need for identity to have some mutability. In other words, for identity to be able to change. The greatest TV series ever made, I believe, is the 1970s show, I, Claudius. And it is about the emperor Claudius who had to shift his identity and who he was and how he operated in the world very, very quickly and with very short notice over and over again to transition and transcend his circumstances. He was born with cerebral palsy. He had a stutter and a stammer. People thought he was an idiot. His mother herself said she should have exposed him at birth, which meant just put him on a mountain, let him to, let him die, which people did, or been, be eaten by predators, which people did all the time back then if your child was disabled. And you, um, and and because of that, he was never really in the line of royal succession. He was just treated as an afterthought and a subject of endless jokes. He though learned very quickly to observe the winds and the wills and the shifts in the currents of the world that he was operating in and was able to change his identity to some extent, particularly externally, to adapt. And his identity, and that along with the core, you know, scholarly inside, and he loved to write and study, that sort of thing, that sort of core thing never changed. But that tightrope that he was walking between shifting identity and maintaining a core, he did expertly so that by the end of the series, and this was the case historically too, he was the last surviving member of his family and ended up being emperor. And by the way, he was emperor longer than anyone in that era, except the first um, emperor, Augustus. And so there is a tightrope that can happen there. For me, understanding the mutability, the possibility of identities shifting has been a key way. Perhaps that's a core part of my own identity. And perhaps the mutability and understanding and leveraging mutability of identity is itself a core characteristic that's part of my own authenticity. Who knows? To be able to change when circumstances do such that I can rise out of them and transition away when is necessary or when who or what my circumstances or adapted identity is are, are no longer serving is to me absolutely essential. I grew up, as I say over and over again, in the backwoods of Kansas. My dad worked for the state. My mother worked for a dog food factory. I went to a, 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 a very, very conservative church where they talked about Sodom and Gomorrah and homosexuality was considered a sin that the minister would call you out in the congregation for. But I didn't end up being that. I had to transition into something completely different. I got a college education. I moved to New York City. I am no longer a rural 
fundamentalist Christian identified person who has a whole host of characteristics associated with what I grew up with. So shifting and embracing the possibility of shifts is a large part of why I believe I've been able to transition beyond my circumstances. There is nothing wrong with working in a dog food factory. In fact, you get free dog food, so there are benefits from it. (laughs) But it ain't me. I've transitioned beyond because of that willingness and ability. How do either of you know what is considered to be part of your core identity and then which elements of your identity can be adjusted due to the circumstances? Wow. Um, To me, it just takes living. And, and, and it takes time. And, and some days you may see something going on around you or see circum- certain circumstances and all of a sudden just say to yourself, yeah, it's not me. And, and, and that's a hint. That's a clue. Whenever you see something that you don't resonate with, you, you, you got to file that away and say, okay, that's not me. Scott, some of the stuff that you had to deal with and adjustments you had to make in your life, which when you move to New York, when you finally realize, hey, that's not me. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not me. And mm-hmm. then you start to really find your authentic self. And and something Scott said in there, I I loved everything he said, but something that resonated so hard for me. You're talking about getting closer to your authenticity and walking a tightrope. And it it struck me, the closer you are to being authentic, the shorter that tightrope gets. Mm. And the less likely circumstances can knock you off of it. Yeah. The closer you get. It, it, It may never be perfect, but I think if you start to listen and evaluate along the way, you figure out who your authentic self is. And, and when you start to embrace that, you're off to the races. It's, it's a beautiful journey. Not easy. Very worth it. Melody does point out, though, that we are responsible for who we become. And the one caveat that I would add to what Steve just said is that if the core is something that's destructive to others or to oneself, perhaps that is something worth examining and can be something that can uh, be transitioned away from, particularly if it's not adaptive to the current set of circumstances. So, but pull it out when it's necessary. So I had a very, very tough childhood. I won't lie about that. And there are some resulting core characteristics that I have that are the result of that. A, I'm hypervigilant. An emergency happens, I act quick. Fight, flight, freeze. Yeah, I don't freeze. I act. It may be running or it may be fighting, right? But that's an adaptation to a particular set of circumstances. Not only that, but I can be hard and tough. And it can be, it can be startling if I'm, if I'm feeling threatened and I'm coming at you. And that comes from growing up in a tough circumstance where that's, that was how I adapted in order to survive. Now, the downside of that is what is adaptive in some circumstances can become highly maladaptive once you leave those circumstances. That's true. Being hypervigilant is not good day to day. 
So I've had to learn to transition out of that circumstance, literally do what Melody said, decide what am I going to become, and then move forward with that. Understanding that that core can be pulled out, it never totally goes away, but it can you can create a new core for yourself that becomes the authentic you if it's ultimately going to destroy you. Being tough. The world doesn't need me to be tough. The world has too many men out there in particular trying to be tough all the time. It doesn't need my maladaptations added into the mix. And it's not helpful. It's in fact, you were talking about things blowing up in your face, Steve. It's blown up in my face a lot of times because people don't always like that. And, and rightfully so. It's not constructive or helpful. So part of me learning how to transition out of my circumstances saying, okay, this may be something that I'm perceiving as part of my core, but does it have to be part of my core? Can I let this go and let something else come out? Let a different sort of authenticity or a different inner voice be? At the end of the day, I do believe what I think Melody has said before, which is that the end on a different episode of this, which is that our inner core is full of love and light and radiance. Mm -hmm. Maybe figuring out or understanding or redefining our mindset or our connection to our heart so that that side of you can really express itself as your authenticity or that core so that you can uh, that you can transition out of your circumstances is part of that journey. How do either of you understand this concept? And this might be a slight tangent from topics we're exploring right now, but this topic of authenticity, what is that? Is that a connection to the heart? I know, Steve, you were you were mentioning, you know, the the rope that you have in between mm -hmm. and and the closer you get, the the more it feels. I I mean, I, I feel like I partially understand what it is, but at the same time I I don't. And so I'm just curious to hear your guys' perspective. How do you understand what authenticity means to you? Is it what's speaking from the heart is there an element of the mind is there an element of being able to embrace your identity around people and and not necessarily not care about what others think of you but just know that you feel comfortable in your own skin like how do you pinpoint what that topic means to you did you want to take that one scott or did you want me to uh, no i'd to, love for you I, I just finished a lot of talking the world has heard enough for me <laughs> this exact moment <laughs> Uh, for me, Oleg, it's everything you just described. It, it is the purest version of me. It's me checking my wiring to see what I'm going to think, what I'm going to say, how I'm going to act in relation to something. And then after we're looking back upon it and saying, was that the purest, truest version of me? Did I say something I shouldn't have said? Did I say something that would have been who I really am? And it, it's some people say, I'm going to be more authentic. It's a work in progress. I'm 53 years old. I'm still working every single day on being the most authentic, genuine version of myself. And I want to be seen as someone who cares, someone who loves, someone who's creative, somebody who coaches and encourages others to find the best in themselves. And after every interaction I have with somebody, I've got to look back and ask myself, did I just exhibit the most authentic version of myself? Did I do everything I could have done that's in my heart, in my mind, and in my soul to honor myself in that situation and honor anybody else who is part of that experience? Now, there are days we have to put up a wall. There are days we have to say no. There are days we have to be a little firm with the world. Mm -hmm. But we also have to protect our authentic selves. Um, you know, some days it's a it's a thin candy shell. Some days it's got to be a brick wall. 
because there were people out there who may not be, who whose authentic selves may be harmful. Like Scott said, where the person he had to grow up as at the time is not the same person he has to act as now. Now he gets to be a, a more authentic person of who he is now. And sometimes the circumstances dictate how we react and respond. Because that's the number one thing is we are, each of us, responsible for how we react and respond to every circumstance the world throws at us. That's us. And if we can adapt it in such a way to still be the true version of ourselves, then we're going to grow and we're going to be better. What I love the most, and I got this comment earlier this week, I typed something on social media and somebody sent me a private message and said, oh my God, Steve, I read that and I heard your voice saying the whole thing. I could actually picture you saying it. That was so purely you. When I hear that, I just say, okay, was I trying to be that? Yes, I was. That was the most authentic version of myself I could share with the world in that moment because the world responded and said, oh my gosh, that's you. And that's something I strive for every single day. You're exceptional at it, by the way. Just wanted to let you know, every single time I come across your posts, having known you for three years, as, as you mentioned earlier, I, I could I could hear the voice. I I mean, I'm, it's almost like I'm having a conversation with you, even though it's not you, it's your post, but oh, it, it you. You're, you really are exceptional as how, as far as how you communicate. But I also get curious about this concept of a mask that you just mentioned. And that is, do you find that the more authentic, the more true you've become to who you are, did that mask also transition from what it used to be? Is there a different version of the mask that you choose to put out there? when the circumstances don't allow you to be fully who you are? Yeah, there there are occasions. It's funny, I, I shared a meme that I created recently, uh, and I hope it's okay to use this word on the show. If not, yell at me later. Uh, I used to be a chronic people pleaser, and I would get walked over all the time. It was just, what can I do to help others? I don't matter in this equation. Give, 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 and, and I'm not worthy of receiving and all of this. And I was on a coaching call with somebody one time and this person said, I put myself out there every single day and people walk all over me. I feel like a doormat. I said, I understand how that is because I used to be that way until I learned two very important words, honor yourself. And I just created a meme that night. I found a, a picture of a doormat on in, in Adobe stock photos and I got it and I put the words on it and said, look, you may feel that you are being treated as a doormat by life. Here's what you do. Go out on your porch, throw that doormat away. Mm -hmm. You may not find your spare keys, but you will find your balls. And I, the next morning I regretted putting that online until I saw the reaction from the world that embraced it and said, so it's okay to honor yourself and, and not just give all the time and deplete your resources and put yourself down and subjugate yourself to the rest of the world. If you want to be your authentic self, you've got to protect that sometimes. Some days you got to have that thin candy shell where people just push a little and, and they re, they feel that resistance and they back off. Or you got to go full on brick wall with certain people out there who yeah. don't have your best interests at heart, who yeah. don't respect you, who don't love you, who don't honor you. And sometimes you get to punch people like that in the face. You know, I created a hashtag that I used to use online, hashtag up yours. When people see that, they know I'm being funny, <laughs> but I'm also saying, Stay away from me mm -hmm. because you are not honoring me in this. I want to be authentic. Some days the best thing I can authentically do is just say, back off. Mm. 
my porch. You don't walk on me here. Mr. Mason, how do you honor yourself? First of all, by saying hi to folks that I'm glad to see in the show, like Nina. Good to see you here today. Thank you for joining us. And I want to also say that one thing that really spoke to me came up a little bit earlier was Jessica's remark at 12.17 p.m. about authenticity being in the moment. It's interesting that she says that. And I it, the reason it rang a bell with me is I have known people that are authentic, but rigid at the same time. And so they're like pillars in a storm. And going back to that show, I, Claudius, one of the characters in it is King Herod from the Bible, actually. Who was when was that show, Claudius. by the way? It was I, in the I, 70s. I feel a little bit out of date with, with Steve's uh, come comedy remark at the beginning and this show so that's okay you don't have to remind right. us of, of, things we, of things we authentic <laughs> authentically don't like being reminded of if it's authentic for you to say it just stay off my doormat when you ask me about the dates of some of these things okay okay just kidding <laughs> I'll go so get in event, it was in the 70s and anyway king herod says about claudius he's able to bend in a way, I think he says he's like a, a, a willow tree. He's able to bend and, and twist as is appropriate. And that's why he survives. And again, why Claudius is the only one that's alive at the end of this and is emperor ruling all of Rome. So you can be authentic, but if, you, if it's timeless, which is sort of what Jessica is talking about, timeless in terms of not adaptive to the moment, not understanding that authenticity now might not look exactly the same as it does in five minutes, then there might be some problems with, with the viability of your authenticity or whether it really is working for you or not. In terms of what Steve had to say, I, I, I will say that boundaries, understanding, when, when and what is appropriate, all of these sort of social nuances are simply part of becoming a high-functioning person in the world. We are social animals. Authenticity, it has internal value, but one of the values that we don't talk about enough uh, with regards to it is that it is important, if modulated, to grease the wheels and create success for us in the world for the simple reason that in a social species, trust is essential. And we cannot trust what we view as completely fake. So it is also the ability to, to wear a mask or have it be adjustable so that it is of varying degrees of transparency is, is important. I used to do legislative affairs for the city of New York, and I would go on lobbying go do lobbying things with, with people, uh, various to legislators, or I would craft lobbying or legislative strategy with the mayor's office, with various stakeholders, both within and without, or meet with external entities whose, whose uh, interests we wanted to align with ours so that they would support this legislation that we had. And sometimes people would say things during these sessions that were startling or were very shocking to me, or rude and offensive, or people would also behave socially inappropriately. And I learned, particularly if I was in a place like City Hall or in a legislative meeting of some sort, put on what I called the stone face. I could hear anything, I might be feeling anything inside, but I was organized completely and just sat there 
like a piece of stone. And that is, to some extent, it's not authentic, but it's uh, adaptive for that particular moment. Now, that doesn't mean I, to me, moving into authenticity would have also been having my internal feeling states adapt to that fossilized exterior to say, okay, on the outside, I'm gorgonizing, but on the inside, I'm going to gorgonize too. That would have been something else altogether. And so being able to read your circumstances adapt is to me goes as to the, the propriety of the mask and how transparent that mask really is. I am never even with my husband, never, well, perhaps sometimes, but there are many, many times when I'm not completely transparent. Does my husband, for instance, as intimate as we are, need to hear every single thought and feeling that I have in my mind? <laughs> he doesn't. I don't want him to. He doesn't want to. Right? So I can sacrifice a little bit of authenticity sometimes. Just like the, in the stereotype where a spouse asks the other one, does this outfit make me look fat? Sometimes you don't need to be authentic. Sometimes you just need to let that one go. How do you trust? I wrote this down as you were sharing this, Scott. How do you trust things that you haven't seen or heard or experienced before? You know, much of this we're talking about is a process, a process that I think it's probably going to vary from one person to another. But in your case, based on what you just shared, how do you trust some of those things that you haven't experienced yourself yeah. just yet? I feel fairly strongly about this. And many people, I think, will rightfully disagree. I operate with a mindset of openness and trust every time until I have a reason not to. And the reason for that is that if people read what messages that you're sending out, and if I am coming from a place of distrust or suspicion, or assuming that you're going to get me, then the other person is likely to respond in accord, or they're likely to somewhere in their subconscious think he is making that assumption about me because that's who he is inside. And that isn't who I am inside. If I'm operating in a distrustful way as a prima facie, prima, prima facie default sort of way of being, then that would be because authentic, authentically inside, I am operating from a fundamental place of hostility and, and exploitation. Now, the risk of that and why people might argue with me legitimately is that you set yourself up to be exploited by people that are just takers or who are psychopaths or whatever. But to me, on the balance, I found it in the worlds in which I've operated far better to take that risk. And yet, take your lumps and learn from it and don't, of course, ever trust that person again. But to operate from a default of, of who I want the person to be and connected with who I am what I want that relationship to look like, setting, setting the course for it, laying down the, the pavement or laying, you know, paving the road. Mm -hmm. When, when you, when it comes to that, do you have a, what is it? A one strike rule, three strike rule? How, how many strikes? Yeah, it depends, out? right? Like, and it depends sometimes, for instance, if my husband were to tell me a, a white lie, Right. And I were to find out about it. 
Laurie would even say something more serious if I were to find out that he were to have an affair. After 23 years, I would want to, I, I would not have a one strike rule out under those circumstances. We built so much together. I'd want to know what happened. I would probably view that affair as a symptom of something deeper that being radically accountable, I would want to know what my own role was in creating that. And the love and trust that we've built together isn't going to vanish overnight. So under those circumstances, I disagree with the philosophy of one strike, you're out. You don't ever trust someone once they mistake, make a mistake. I've made mistakes a zillion times myself. I've betrayed trust accidentally or through foolishness or negligence or being busy or thoughtlessness. We all have those moments. If I'm getting to know someone and I, or if the relationship is less deep, the rules are a little bit more strict or if the consequences, and then there's a balance between how well I know the person, what the history has been and how egregious the betrayal of trust is. If I've just met you and you steal $5,000 from me, yeah, I ain't ever trusting you again. If I just met you and you say you're going to email me tomorrow and then you actually email me two days later, I'm like, chill out. People make mistakes. Find out what happened, if anything. It's a sliding scale to mm -hmm. me, at least. What about y'all? Steve, how do you do it? Uh, same thing, same sliding scale. I mean, everything Scott has just shared over the, over the past uh, answers. I've, I've, I've identified with 100%. It is a sliding scale. Um, the severity of issues will determine whether or not I throw you out. Uh, I also come into relationships, especially meeting people for the first time. And there are people out there who say, well, I'll respect you if you respect me first. No, 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 no. My hand is going out there with genuine kindness and greeting right off the bat. I will give you the opportunity to respond to whatever your authenticity is. Now, it may determine if it's not, if my energy is not received in a positive way, we may never have another conversation again. I may write you off instantly, but I'm going to be the friendly face out there first. I'm going to put the good energy. I'm going to open my heart and be vulnerable first because we never know what's going on in that other person's mind. Their authenticity may be beautiful, but they may have been burned so many times mm -hmm. that they're going to put up that wall right at you in your face mm -hmm because you're not willing to open up when two hearts open up to each other and the people that I run with these days, Oh my gosh. You know, I told my, my mentor, Chris Whitehead, we, we hadn't talked for a couple of years, just messages here and there, but we actually got on the phone once this a couple of years ago. He says, brother, how you doing? It's been so long since we seen each other. I said, yep. But if you were calling right now at three in the morning to tell me your house is on fire, I'd grab the garden hose, drive 35 minutes over there and help you put it out. Because that's our relationship. I mean, we, from the first time we met, we've been 100% open, honest, helpful, genuine, loving, caring, supporting, cheering on of each other. And when one's in pain, the other one comes running. And if you can make it, I'm in 53 years old. My grandfather told me, if you make it to 40 and have this many real, honest, genuine friends in your life who would do that, you're one of the richest people in the world. And I'm very happy to say in my early 50s, mm. I've got th about that many of them. So I consider myself very, very fortunate. Do either of you find physical connection or, or some sort of connection in person a, a critical component to building trust or, quote unquote, moving beyond your 
or transitioning beyond your circumstances because I found that with COVID and everything, it's definitely put many things in perspective. And one of them is connection, <laughs> how we experience human connection from here on out. And I'm curious to hear from your lens as well as Jessica and anyone else that's tuned in right now, how important is that to you or was it important before? And did you transition out of it due to I mean, circumstances? Let's be blunt, Oleg. And, and I'll throw this out here. I don't think that this is any secret. If it is, you don't ever trust me again, I assume. But anyone that has observed you and I together knows that trust is there, even though we've ne never met each other in person. And it's a significant trust. Anyone that has observed our trajectory as two people uh, can figure out we have created ties and connections. We've tied our personal brands to each other. That's a level of trust. We have made commitments as to our time together that have financial implications for both of us. So, and we've never met. I actually feel like Steve, I know well enough, even though it's not like Steve and I talk every week. I, If Steve called me up and said I needed something, I would not be sitting here worrying, oh, is Steve going to steal or is Steve going to this or that? Part of it is that even though Steve and I have not met in person, I've gathered a sense enough of him over time that I feel comfortable with what I have been observing and would happily, happily engage in whatever way I can. Yep. And, that, and that goes both ways with, with both of you. I mean, never met you in person, but if you reached out to me at three in the morning and said, Hey, Steve, I really need help with this. I would be, I'd be right there because no like and trust. And sometimes people say, Oh, those are trite. Those are old, whatever, you know, flavors you earn the, the no like and trust with people. You've got that bond. It doesn't have to be the physical handshake yeah. and the people I surround myself and run with these days, believe me, I have shed a lot of weight, dead weight. Over the years, there was one time about three, four years ago, I had 15 minutes to kill between meetings. And I looked in my phone. I used to love to take that time, pull into a parking lot, just call people up and make their day. And nice, happy call. And I looked through my list. I'm going, nope, 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 nope. And I said, you know, none of these people have ever been an incoming call. It's a one-way relationship. It's, I need something from you, Steve. It's never reciprocated dead, 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 dead to me. And, and I'm not above doing that. And some people say, yeah, but Steve, you're all about love and happiness and this and that. Nope. I'm all about building relationships with people that I want to spend the rest of my life cultivating. That's where it's at is people I can add value to who understand the importance that it, not that I need anything in return, but it's really nice to know that I'm around genuinely authentic, giving, loving, caring, creative, funny, happy, generous people. And that's who I choose to surround myself with the rest of my life. Reciprocity is a big deal. Yep. There is a couple, Ola, going to your point, who I've known for many, many years. And I, they live in New York City. I've known them, seen them both in person many times. One of them goes to my gym. Another one I've had in my professional life and I would regularly meet for lunch or to hang out or whatever. And Steve, what you said a minute ago about that phone really spoke to me. On LinkedIn, one of them recently had a 
work transition. So I sent, oh, oh, congratulations. I'm so happy for you, this, that, and the other. And this person said, thank you. And then I decided, I was like, oh, thank you. Okay. And so I went and I looked at our entire LinkedIn history and what it was, was me saying, congratulations on this that you've done good work on this and him saying, thank you. Not once during the many years that we've been connected on LinkedIn, was there even so much as a, how are you? Congratulations to you. All of this was simply, thank you. And I realized that I had had going to your point, Oleg, this isn't a person that I think is evil or has a uh, has a, I, that I feel would steal from me or anything like that. Quite the contrary. But in terms of really being able to um, have reciprocity, they're not there. And part of what this all sort of circles back to, in my opinion, is the underlying theme of the episode today, which is how do you transition beyond your circumstances? Because Steve, as you mentioned, once we let people, if we, as we transition and change and grow, and as our circumstances change, what we expect, tolerate, or find attracted to us will change. That's just the nature of it. And then that's part of transitioning. Part of the transition that was painful for me when I saw this history on LinkedIn was that this is someone I had to let go. And it was an ego, it was an ego thing. I realized I'd been holding on to something longer than I needed to. And that that person didn't want to be part of my circumstances. Now, mm-hmm. that's me needing to say exactly what you did. It hurts. Mm-hmm. I also think with that, it's a, for me, it's a slightly complicated topic because I, I think it's a two-way street. It, it's exactly as the two of you have described as far as finding the courage and the confidence and all these other things to let go of certain people in order to move beyond the, the circumstances they might be in. But I also found have found that in the recent years, I'm equally as responsible in communicating those things. I'm equally as responsible in setting, in creating the setting for a possible dialogue to happen. Have I been in conversations or have I been in situations where I first started LinkedIn and I would just, you know, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste when, when an event or whatever came up? Absolutely. I I take full ownership of that. Mm -hmm. So whenever I receive that from people now, I, I really don't take it personally because I, in fact, I, I get a little laugh out of it not a laugh at them but more so a laugh with them that it's just like that was me that was me however many years ago i i remember what it was like to probably send that first message and the person reads it and it's like okay did he really just send me a memoir in a linkedin message or i've I've also been on the receiving end so i i think there's there is a critical component that i'm choosing to take away from this conversation and that's having an open heart and an open mind, but also putting myself in situations where I'm able to reflect upon what's happening through the lens of I've been there. Oh, I remember what it was like. Maybe not the same exact situation, but I mean, let's face it. Have all three of us not ever sent a message that might be perceived as bulk or spam or mass email? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel we, we've all done that. Of course. And so I, I just, I find that to be a, another component of it. And I think Scott and you as well, Steve hinted towards this and it's the ability to accept, but it's also the ability to forgive. Oh, you know. Forgive 
to move beyond whatever the circumstances are. Mm -hmm. I've been in relationships, whether it's romantic ones or friendships where I had to forgive myself and I had to forgive the people that were involved in order to transition. So what Mm -hmm. the X, Y, and Z happened? Like I have two choices. I can learn from it. I can apply it into future circumstances and hopefully change the outcome of those and completely detach. I, I love how Jessica actually pointed this out, learning how to detach from possible expectations or outcomes. Yeah. That's, that's huge. It's been yeah. huge for me. Yeah. Cause the reality of the matter is and Scott, you and I were talking about this yesterday, any given event, event, pick any experience in your life. If you ask multiple people what they saw, you're going to get multiple different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And the question is, who's right and who's wrong? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I actually had something like that happen. I had I had a falling out with a family member. And we didn't speak to each other for almost 10 years. And eventually we drifted back to each you know, in and it was awkward at first. And then everything was fine after that. I had the opportunity a couple of years after that to run into somebody else who was one of the key figures that day. And I just held my hand. I said, man, I really want to apologize for my behavior that day. I was, I was mad at one person and I was DJing a party for both of these two individuals. They shared near birthdays and I threw on an attitude and I cut the event short and I just walked out. Basically the other person had no idea. I said, I just, I'm so sorry for everything I did and said that night and the attitude I brought. And he goes, what do you mean? He said, I had a ball that night. What are you talking about? When did this Mm -hmm. happen? And I thought all these years I felt so bad because I chose a bad attitude. I reacted and responded in such a way that I'd I'd had a bad day and I let it get worse. And I took it out on an entire room of people by basically shutting down a party early and copying an attitude. This person was not even aware. He goes, I don't remember that at all. Like, well, I still want to shake your hand and apologize because the rest of the room knew it, especially, you know, this other person, family member who I really didn't speak to for 10 years. What do you think makes such circumstances difficult? Or this is me projecting meaning onto your own mindset. So correct me if I'm wrong, but do you think it's, do you think it makes certain circumstances difficult to transition out of due to how close you are to them? Or is there something else at play? For example, like a family family member. I mean, I, I've been in situations like that. I, I'm sure Scott can relate to situations like that as well, as well as anyone that's tuning in. I found that to be one of the more difficult ones to be in my life to transition out of or to, um, yeah, transition is the best way I can put it, because I was so close to that person, because there was a level of trust versus compared to, let's say, if it's a complete stranger – I oftentimes don't even second guess. It's just, I just, I'm able to get into the process of, okay, this happened. What am I learning from it? Move on to the next. What do you think makes the family dynamic more challenging than some of the other circumstances? You get to see these people again at the next gathering. That can be awkward. Mm. Um, On that particular incident, there were about three different circumstances, all of which were erupting in my life at the time, and they all collided on that day. So it blew it up way worse than it probably ever would have been. I allowed all these things to just coagulate and erupt in one volcano instead of putting out the little fires uh, separately. So 
hopefully that's that's a partial answer just stick to the one fight if there's a certain circumstance don't bring a bunch of other stuff pick your battle (laughs) well yeah pick your and know what that battle is don't take the rest of your bad day and just let it all blow up at once that was my biggest mistake of that night i let too many other things too many other parts of my life that were volatile at the time they all blew up in the face of of that one person and it you know it damaged family dynamics for a pretty good amount of years I want to say something about this. First of all, I want to thank Jessica. She's putting out some really, Jessica, we haven't had a chance to respond to all of your remarks yet, but these are really authentic. Understand they are being taken in, absorbed, read, and appreciated. So please keep that up. It's really, those really some thoughtful stuff in there. The, I, I, I was actually thinking about this whole family dynamic stuff just yesterday. Family dynamics, in my opinion, and I'm radical about this, but I stand behind my radicalism. Family dynamics are more difficult for us because we have constructed in our mind the idea of a family. It's a mental construct. It doesn't really exist. Your parents, someone, well, maybe not even your parents, someone gave birth to you in this world. And then someone else presumably raised you, whether it's in an orphanage or a foster care home or in a in a in a more traditionally conceived family or an extended family, whoever. But meaning that you attach to it, that's on you. People who are your guardians when you're a child have a legal obligation. So there may be a connection that you feel because of their hopefully meeting the minimum thresholds of that obligation. And if you're lucky, they go beyond it. That may make it difficult but that's not necessarily because they're your family. There's people who have no legal obligations to any of us who give us more love and support and who are with us longer in our lives than our families. If you are, if you live a life like mine. And so my husband doesn't have any legal obligation, particularly since we weren't married officially for a long time because it wasn't legal in the United States. God forbid. So he, but he is giving me more love and support during more difficult times than anything. So the legal obligation and the the construct of what a family is that was just totally me. Any any significance that family is 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 something that we attach to. And I say that I'm a radical about this because people stick themselves in situations that are destructive, that are self limiting all the time. Because of family. When I was working once, there was a woman who I worked with who was griping because she had she had all of these demands for a, a boyfriend that she wanted. She couldn't meet any good men. And I said, well, you know, and, and I said, well, why don't you just expand? Does a person have to be from this ethnic background of this social stature, making this much money, have this particular physical appearance, all of this sort of crap? Uh, why don't you just find it like you like being around them? And they said, well, my family would never accept this. My family would never accept this. It would cause all this sort of stuff. And and I said to her, to this person, you, everyone understands that, Scott. And I said, I don't understand it. First of all, I'm gay. You think my family liked that? I already broke that to the ground the minute I started seeing other men. But number two, who cares what your family thinks is your life? You're constructing the value of those particular relationships. Let them go. And if you don't, another friend of mine told me recently, my mom slaps me all the time, even though I'm an adult. And But I have to endure this because that's my family. No, you don't. 
This person doesn't have to be part of your family at all. I don't care who she is. You're a 60-year-old person and your mom is slapping you in the face. You ain't going to be part of my family. You're not going to be part of anything for me. And so, again, I, I think that that's understanding, accepting, and owning our role in aligning ourselves with social constructs that are total fictions is part of what makes this harder. Wow. You're, you're spot on as far as I, I agree with you as far as I, I do believe I create the meaning. I, just, I create meaning for things. And the same thing I think goes to whatever the constructs are. Family, friends, colleagues, each one of them carries its own. And I, I just find that fascinating how you broke that down, Scott, as well as you, Steve, in understanding that at the end of the day, I mean, why does that group have to be any or treated any differently than any other group that we experience through life? I don't think they should. Mm -hmm. By raising you, your parents volunteered for a legal obligation. And after a certain age, by the way, you're away from them as an adult, presumably, longer than you've been with them. That is true. That That is, yeah, that's probably a fact. In, yeah. in no one asks. Circumstances. Let's be clear. No, you're a child. You don't have consent. No one forces you to raise a child. There are these things called adoptions mm -hmm. that at least two of us in this room have gone through. So mm -hmm. that shows that you don't even have to raise a child if you don't want to. And you have it. Mm-hmm. So if you assume that obligation, then you, okay, that's cool. You can create that social construct and you would you take on those legal obligations. But as Jessica, I think, mentioned, walking into legal obligations, really contract what is essentially a social contract and expecting all this stuff afterwards, that's not a real relationship. And if you just expect it, you think that I did this for the child so that I am, so that when I'm old, I get taken care of, or so that I have companionship, or so that I this, so that I that. You're doing it for your reasons. You're not doing it for a child. And you, if you're doing things for your creating social constructs and imposing relationships on a helpless being based purely on your expectations, you're going to be in potentially for some very bad surprises because that little child, when it grows up, will have its own mind. And it may not agree with you about those obligations. Mm -hmm. Wow. Obviously, much to discuss, but I'm going to quickly transition for ways that people can connect with the two of you, learn more about your work, anything that you have going on. And I'll start off with you, Steve. Uh, yeah, people can find me at motivationalfirewood.com. All the stuff is there. Uh, the vision board work, the, uh, I believe there's a link to my radio show there as well. So yeah, motivationalfirewood.com. That's where it is all at. Can you briefly explain the meaning behind why is it called motivational firewood? Uh, early on in my speaking career, I, I was at a meeting, uh, for national speakers of new England and a gentleman who was there said, Oh, Steve, you're here for your first meeting. What do you do? I said, I want to be a motivational speaker. Why? I want to help people. Okay, that's not good enough. He kept drilling. And I finally said, look, if people come to hear me speak, they obviously are in need of something. They're in search of something. If they wake up the next day and think one more positive thought, take one more good action or speak one more kind word, especially to the person in the mirror. So it's kind of like I gave them motivational firewood. They have a spark. They just need something to get to create fire. I said, so yeah, I'm like a motivational firewood guy. <laughs> and the guy said, do you know anything about branding and trademarks? And I said, no. He said, 
I love how you just described that. He goes, what I love more is the energy you just, you lit up when you defined it that way. Pursue it. And so I've been the motivational firewood guy now for 17 years, and I do own the trademark on mm. that. And you do bring it. You you really do put out, as I mentioned earlier, very good, thought-provoking content. And the reason why I say that is because it's, it's relatable. It, every time I read it, every time I cross it, whatever it is, videos, written, I feel like I'm having a conversation with you. So I just, I, I applaud you for what you've done and just am grateful for the connection that you and I share. Thank you. I'm honored by that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mr. Mason, what about you? Purposehighway.com. We're in the middle of a revolution of thinking. The institutions that have traditionally connected us in our search for a meaningful life are in decline. New pathways for the search for ethical foundations, connection to purpose, and spirituality are emerging. Do you want to be a part of the new movement to find meaning and connect with others? Go to PurposeHighway.com. Now, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you to the two of you and Jessica and Melody, who's been a part of this conversation for helping us expand upon what we know. And obviously there's so much more to discuss. I think we probably just scratched the surface of some of these topics, especially when it comes to family and how do you move, how do you transition beyond those circumstances? How do you do transition beyond some of the other things? But for me, really the big takeaways has been to maintain an open mind, open heart, know that there's always another perspective beyond the current one that I'm seeing it through. And I think if anything else, what I've taken away from the two of you, as well as what Jessica and Melody and and Nina, I believe, had to share in the comments is choice, that you can make a different choice when it comes to whatever you're experiencing and you can experience a different life. So just want to share that quickly and want to thank the two of you, especially Scott and Steve for, for being a part of this. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.
Thank you.